Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Another Easter. Well, I'd like to welcome you here as one of the pastors, and I have a short word for you this morning. And I wanted to start out with a couple of thoughts uh, about hope. And that's basically the theme of the message this morning. And there are two types of hope. Um, first, we can be people that hope for something, and we can be people that hope in someone. Two types, and I'm sure many of you probably knew that. That wasn't a new revelation to you in your life. Well, the first type, in hoping for something, let me give you some examples, right? We're looking for a certain outcome. How many of you are done with winter? Anybody not done with winter? Right? Did you enjoy this past week waking up, maybe, I don't know, Monday or Tuesday? Did you enjoy seeing the snow and ice outside? Anybody? Well, I saw this picture. I wanted to share it with you. This was I, traveling around. Whoever is praying for snow, please stop. So if that is you and you enjoy the inclement weather, you like it, something is wrong with you. Right? We do not want you in this place. The, the winter has to stop now. Spring is here. Right? Yes, you can clap for that. Yes, thought you'd enjoy that. Sometimes we hope for some things where maybe the um, outcome, it, it's a remote possibility. It's really a long shot. And an example of that would be it's, you know, ba- the baseball season has, you know, kind of opened up a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago. And some of you, unfortunately, are Mets fans. And uh, yeah, hope dies hard sometimes. And I thought I would throw this out there. I've never done this before. If you're a Mets fan, you may appreciate this. The chances of your team actually making the playoffs this year are slim to none. Listen to me. If they do make the playoffs, I promise one sermon in the fall of my choosing, I will wear a Mets jersey. How about that? If they make the playoffs. Do you like that? Now, this is crazy. Yesterday, we are out celebrating my sister's birthday. My sister's older than me, in case you're wondering. And... uh, this is what my wife puts my son in. The, the senior pastors, Pastor Joe and Linda, they bought my son, their grandson. This is the jersey they bought him, right? There's Jameson. He's out wearing that jersey. Yes. So I told him last night, I said, hey, son, if you want to be mocked and ridiculed, you want people to laugh at you your entire life, you wear that jersey. Or you can wear a Yankees jersey, right? Yeah, you clap for that, too. Well, sometimes when it comes to hope, there are more serious issues at stake. You know, it can be a life or death situation. And there are things, you know, I hope we don't lose them. I hope the depression lifts. I hope it's not cancer. We're hopers. We're dreamers. We teach our kids to wish upon a star. Well, let me tell you this morning, if it's not cancer, it'll be something else. We'll succumb to something else. You say, yeah, that's kind of morbid. It is, but that's the reality of the world in which we live. At some point, everything that we're hoping for will disappoint us. Everything we're hoping for will wear out. It will give out. It's going to rust out. That's reality. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the name Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl uh, was a Jewish psychiatrist. He was in the Nazi concentration camps. Namely, he was in Auschwitz for an extended period of time. He wrote a riveting memoir. I highly recommend it to everybody in here. Man's search, man's search for meaning in this world. 
where he looked at people. He lost his pregnant wife. He lost his parents. He lost his brother. He lost everybody around him. And when he got out in 1946 and writing this memoir, he wanted to look at why were some prisoners in the death camps? Why did some of them, why did some of them shrivel up basically and die? Why did they wither away? And why were there other prisoners who were able to stand strong in the midst of very harrowing, tumultuous, just horrible circumstances? And this is one of the, this captivated me the first time I read it. He said, life in a concentration camp exposes your soul's foundation. Only a few of the prisoners were able to keep their full inner liberty and inner strength. Life only has meaning in any circumstances if you have a hope that suffering, circumstances, and even death cannot destroy. I want to ask you this morning, what are you ultimately putting your hope in? Are you putting your hope in your job, your finances, success, health, your family, all good things. Listen, hear me, all good things. But is that what you're putting your ultimate hope in? Because when the scaffolding of life is taken away, you see, there is a deeper hope. And I want to talk about your foundational hope. When all of the hopes in the world disappoint you, what can you ultimately lean on where, as Frankel says, that nothing, even death, cannot destroy it? What is that for you? And I would like to talk about the one that came on the earth 2,000 years ago. And you know what you're coming into, to an Easter service. The one in whose life we are celebrating today, Jesus Christ. The one that all of the scriptures point to. So I'm asking you this morning, in the beginning of this message, are there any things in your life that you hoped for and they could have been huge, enormous, but you didn't get them. I want to ask you, is there someone that you can actually put your hope in? And I'm going to do something different. If you've never heard me preach before, I'm not probably your conventional preacher. I'm not using a text that you've heard of. If you're somebody that's a Christian and you're in here today, this is an obscure text that I'm going to use. I'm going to back into Easter. So I'm going to start with an Old Testament story, and then eventually I will make my way to Easter. Please follow along. There's some history that's here. I'm a history guy. I love it. I hope you get something from this story and the power of Easter and the power of the resurrection. And the story I'm going to talk about today is a story that is early on in the history of Israel. You see, the Israelites had been, they've been traveling in the wilderness for 40 years They finally make their way into the promised land and they're carrying what is known as the Ark of the Covenant. And here are the children of Israel. As they actually get into the promised land, they don't have a king. They're struggling mightily. And there's an altercation that will take place with the people known as the Philistines. How many of you know the Philistines? You've heard that name before, right? HGH really originated there. Remember the guy Goliath, David and Goliath? He was definitely on it. You didn't think it was funny? I did. Well... They're, they're basically fighting these people known as the Philistines. And they go into battle with these Philistines. And at the outset, they are destroyed. They are annihilated. They are decimated. And afterwards, after this first battle, they sit down and they debrief. They strategize. And they ask a question. They say, where was God in the midst of this situation? We thought we had God on our side. How come God didn't come through? You ever been there before? Wondering, questioning, where is God in the midst of my situation, in my circumstances? 
And then somebody, I don't know, somebody has a bright idea in the group, one of the strategists, and they say, you know what? I know how we can beat the Philistines. Let's bring in our secret weapon, the Ark of the Covenant. Now, very, listen, I'm giving you a very brief history. Here is a picture of what the Ark of the Covenant would, would have looked like. How many of you saw Raiders of the Lost Ark? You think of that, right? That's pro- Spielberg got a lot of things wrong. We love, I, I venerate every, we love Steven Spielberg as a director. But listen, as a practicing Jew, I was kind of surprised when you look at some, I don't have time to go into the history of what he got wrong, so don't ask me. But here it is, the Ark of the Covenant. And this was a symbol of God's presence with the children of Israel. And there was some manna in there from their time in the wilderness, the Ten Commandments, the second, you know, Ten Commandments that were given, these stone tablets, things. That, there's a lot of history that's here. It was made of wood, but, you know, there's gold laid over it. This was who the children of Israel were. Anywhere they went, they brought the Ark of the Covenant with them. Everybody with me? Yes. Okay. So the second time they're going to go into battle, it's basically like I looked at it and said, you know, it's kind of like God in a box. That's how they looked at this. It's about four feet long, two and a half feet wide, two and a half feet tall. And they would bring God in the box into a battle or wherever they were heading. There's only one problem. You see, they think as they bring the Ark of the Covenant to the battle, they can't lose. Right? Like it's fixed. We're going to go into battle, and if somehow the Philistines can beat us, it's almost as if God has been captured. It's God himself. It's the presence of God inside, or representing the whole Ark of the Covenant. So there's no way that the Philistines... God's never going to let this happen, right? How many of you know you can't control and you can't tame God? You can't domesticate God. You can't manipulate God. You know, just because God did something one day doesn't mean he's going to do the same thing tomorrow. And that's one of the reasons why I'm a Christian. I love the fact that you can't figure God out. But we try. Don't we? Don't we try? We try real hard. And there's an odd theology behind this. And I want to, I want to mention a theologian. Some of you may have heard of him. His name is Homer Simpson. How many of you know who that is? That great theologian? You didn't think you were going to come to church and hear about Homer Simpson. You were wrong. Well... There's an episode some years ago where Homer Simpson donates money to a PBS fun drive, right? Donates this money because he's so sick of the fun drive. He's like, I'm done. This has to end. He donates $10,000. The people at PBS are so excited. They're overjoyed. And it can end now, right? The only problem is Homer doesn't have the money to pay. So the PBS management representatives, they say, you know what? We're going to banish you. You're going to work with some missionaries on a tropical island. So he's there on the tropical island. And I mean, he brings debauchery. I mean, a lot of bad things happen in the beginning. And his penance at the end is, though, he builds this chapel. He builds this church. And he's not really a, a theologically astute character. But there is a line, a very poignant line that Simpson gives us. And this is it. He says, where is it? He says, um... Oh, gosh, where did I? Oh, there it is. I don't know much about God, but we sure have built him a nice little cage. Isn't that cute? We built him a nice little cage. Again, you didn't find that funny. I found it quite funny. You can't force God to give you the thing that you want. You can't tame him, but yet we do. And many of us have a distorted image of who God is. 
And you may say, oh, I kind of know what the message. No, I'm talking. If you're somebody and you think you're a professing Christian, you're somebody that's not a Christian. Many of us walk around with a distorted image of who God is. For some of us, God is a security blanket, kind of like a Snuggie. And we can put him on and he makes us feel all comfortable. He never challenges us when we're upset. He's right there with his hand on our shoulder and he gives us a Kleenex. We can yell at him anytime we want. That's one image. And then some people have an image of who God is as he's a divine butler. And he's there at our every beck and call. Yes, you called. What can I get you? Come on. That's the image some of us walk around with. And how about a distorted image of God being a genie, a genie in a bottle? And we just, whatever we we, we wish, whatever we want, we will actually get. Oh, but if we don't get what we actually want from God, watch out. Can I tell you and be honest with you here this morning and challenge you that some of you in this place, you say, you know, I came to church because it's Easter and I come here every Easter. I'm here to tell you, think you know who God is. And I'm here to tell you that you probably have a distorted image because God didn't give you what you wanted and you were disappointed. God doesn't work that way. That is not Christianity. And I'm sorry, many TV evangelists, and it's about your best life now, all the things you can get from God. God is not a means to an end. God is an end in and of himself, and he gives you himself in a relationship. That's what what we are, a city on a hill, community church. That's what we believe. That's what we affirm. And so we walk around, all of us have these images. And I said, you know what? What if I could probably make millions of dollars? Put me on Shark Tank right now. Put me in front of Mark Cuban right now. This is my invention, God in a box. That's my invention. I go on there. I'm offering you, all of you here, you sharks, I'm offering you 1% of my company. I want a million dollars. And you know what? They're going to take it. They're going to want to jump in. God in the box. Imagination is not included. We all walk around with an imagination. We all think we know what God is truly like. We all have these images. Again, though, I'm here to tell you, many of these images are distorted. God came. God sent his son to give us a relationship. We're not here about religion. Come on. We're not a religious people in this place because Jesus wasn't religious. Jesus was the life of the party. Jesus was the guy that you wanted to hang out with. We always see that image, right? It's everywhere. It's plastered everywhere. And he's got the long hair and the blue eyes. And he's got the Miss America sash. And he's, you know, I don't know, frolicking on the beach. And he's just kind of moving. That is not the that is not who Jesus Christ really was. But that's the image that we're sold. I love what one commentator said about getting back to the story of the children of Israel. He said, you don't put your trust in the presence of which that was only a sign. You put your trust in the sign itself. The sign itself. So here are the children of Israel. And then there's the second battle. Stay with me in the story. So the first battle, I said they got annihilated. Here is the second battle. They lose seven times more people in the second battle when they bring the Ark of the Covenant in, into the battle. Right? You would think again, we have God here. We're going to win the battle. They lose seven times more people. The presence of God is there with them. And then here's the worst part. The Ark of the Covenant is taken. Can you imagine the children of Israel, your history, everything is all about the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, and it's taken from you. And then here's where the text picks up. The story is in 1 Samuel 5. 
at the beginning, the top of the chapter, if you want to look at it, I highly, if you don't have a Bible, you're somebody like, ah, listen, get into the word, get into, it's the greatest story that has ever been told. And it starts out here and it says, then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. Oh, who is this Dagon? Let me show you a picture. He is known as the fish king and the pantheon of Philistine gods. He was the fish king. I know, kind of a weird looking guy there, right? So imagine though, here are the Philistines and they, they've had this rousing victory. The Israelites were hoping for something. They were hoping for victory. They are defeated. And here are the Philistines and they put the Ark of the Covenant next to this guy, Dagon. But something happens, something interesting, something that is unexpected. Because again, you can't control God. You can't manipulate him. You can't tame him. The next verse says this in 5.3. And when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face. Dagon has fallen and he cannot get up. He's fallen on its I keep all week. I, kept, I couldn't read the text and not think of that. To the earth before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set it in its place again. Okay, Dagon, you fell. Let's put you back, dust you off and put you back. Now, if I was living among the Philistines, I would have launched a huge investigation. I would have probably thought I would have picked teenagers like myself when I was a teenager. I would have thought that some of them probably broke in and they, you know, they wanted to play a little prank and they moved Dagon, right? That's what you're thinking after the first day. Well, then comes the second day. This is the best part. And when they arose early the next morning. So after night number two, there was Dagon. You can imagine Dagon. He's left right alone with the Ark of the Covenant that first night. And he's like, here we go again. They're going to leave me alone. They're going to turn the lights off. Right? What's going to happen tonight? So there he is. He's fallen on his face to the ground before the Ark of the Lord. The head of Dagon and both the palms of its hands were broken off on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left of it. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any who came into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. I can understand that. I, I, I don't blame them. Did you ever see Monty Python and the Holy Grail? Don't you think of that, like the stump? Remember that first scene? He's like, come back here. I'll bite you. Remember that? Remember that movie? Yeah. Somebody like, hey, like, you're starting to wake up. Come on, stay with me. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm thinking here. Look at this. The guy's arms are cut off like his, he's decapitated and he's there. What are you doing if you're the Philistines? You should be pretty afraid at this point. How do you account for this? Friends, there's a God that is at work behind the scenes. You know, you see... The interesting thing about this story and the greatest story ever told, I would love to know what really happened that night. I would love to know, but the text doesn't tell us. But all I know is that it's a three-day story, and the first day, the text tells us, is a pretty dark day. It's pretty dark, and there's a lot of silence, and there's a lot of mystery, and there's a lot of ambiguity, and you don't really know what's going on. The first day, yes, is very dark. And then there's a very poignant part in the story, I have to tell you. It was from the preceding chapter. And there's a priest, after the Ark of the Covenant was taken, the priest's name is Eli. Eli and his two sons will both die. Their daughter-in-law, in birth, she's going to die. And in birth, she's going to have a son. She is going to name the son Ichabod. Ichabod. That means in Hebrew, the glory is gone. And there are two words I want you to see from this story today. 
That first one is Ichabod. It's kind of like a theist and an atheist. Like you just add that one letter to it. Somebody that's an atheist doesn't believe in God. Well, Ichabod is the glory is gone. Kabod, a, a foundational word in Hebrew means God's glory. Glory. She wants to name him Ichabod because she's saying the Ark of the Covenant is gone. This story's over. In the words of Mel Blanc, that's all, folks. That's it. Game over. The fat lady has sung. There's nothing left to happen here today. Just name him Ichabod because when he gets older, I want him to know and understand that God is gone. God didn't care. God didn't see us. God was silent. But I'm here to tell you the story wasn't over. It's a three-day story. And so the story moves on on the third day. You know, I said to you, yeah, the first day, you see how dark it really is. Heaven is silent. There's no hope. There's no glory. How many of you know we silence Saturday? We don't talk enough about the silence. We don't talk enough about Saturday. I was reading an article, the cover of Time magazine. I don't agree with everything that was theologically stated in the article. I just happened to read it last night. It's the cover story right now. And it's finding God in the dark. Let There Be Night was the name of, it's the name of her latest book. I want to read it. And again, I'm not espousing everything that the, I don't agree with everything that was presented in the article, but the author talked about this one scholar and he said, she brings up a great point that the resurrection happens in a dark, dungy cave. We come and we celebrate Easter and there are beautiful flowers. You're dressed in, you know, your best clothes. Everybody's happy, but remember what happened on that Saturday and it was silent. And heaven is silent and people don't know. But listen, you are here. You serve. Or if you don't, you don't know. There is a third day God that is out there. And look at some of the stories in scripture. You see the first one here with Moses talking to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, No, I'm sorry. This is Joseph. The first one here with Joseph, a hero from the Old Testament. And he's talking to the cupbearer. And he says, listen. Um, in three days, in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place, cupbearer. In three days, that's going to happen. How about the next story here? Moses, in dealing with Pharaoh, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God. Here's one more. Joshua in the beginning, going into the promised land. Pass through the camp and command the people, God saying, prepare provisions for yourselves. For within three days, you will cross over this Jordan to go possess the land. You are here to Today, we are here today to talk about a God of the third day, not the first day when it looked really dark and it looked like there was no hope. Not the second day when it seems silent too. heaven is silent. Nobody knows. People are despondent. People are dejected. I'm talking about the third day. Do you know about the God that came on the third day? Do you know who that is? Do you know him? And the third day is a, it's a technical expression, waiting for deliverance. That's what it technically means. We're waiting for one to be delivered. And I'm here to tell you too, delivery came in a way that was unexpected. The deliverer came 2,000 years ago. Look what it says here in John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory, his kabod, his glory. Of who he was, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But he came in a way that the people didn't expect. And let me tell you, Jesus Christ could not be tamed. The religious leaders tried to tame him. The Pharisees did. The Sadducees did. They couldn't. 
All of the politicians, they tried to tame him. The zealots tried to tame him. Nobody could tame this one man called Jesus Christ. And they lashed him because they couldn't manipulate him and they couldn't control him. And then they pierced him in his side with a sword. And then they said, we're going to hang you on a cross. And then when he died, they put him in a tomb and they said, that's it, folks. The game is over. Ichabod, the glory is gone. That's the way it looked on the first and second day. And there is Pilate there on that second day. It didn't look good. And there he is. And he puts a soldier in front of the tomb, right? They roll the big stone in front. And he puts that soldier there. And he's like, I don't know much about this Jesus movement. I don't really care much about him. But we sure have built him a nice little cage, haven't we? That's what they thought they did. They thought they could put him in a cage and it was the end of the story and the movement would dissipate and nobody would talk about it for the rest of history. Yeah, we built him a nice little cage. Jesus just wasn't a cage kind of guy. Couldn't tame him. And you know what? He set everything right between God and man. All of our efforts to do right, to be good enough, to make it on our own. Jesus said, you don't have to do that anymore. I'm going to do it for you. How about you? Are you still trying hard? Still trying hard to get there? How about your ladder? Is it against the wrong wall? Is it against success or money or achievement? All the things the world has to offer. Again, not bad things, but put in their right place. One day they're going to be gone. They're going to leave. We're not going to have them. And what will be left? What will be our enduring, our foundational hope? That's the message here today. And so the third day is God's day. Are you ready? been kind of quiet today, but here is the good news, because the third day is the day when prisoners of Pharaoh get set free. The third day is when the people move to the mountains and the mountains shake and the rivers are parted and they enter the promised land. The third day is when young harem girls like Esther, they go before a king and they say, if I perish, I perish. The third day, you know what the third day is? It's like a prophet Jonah. And Jonah says, yeah, you know what? I'm going to leave. I don't want to go to where God wants me to go. He gets swallowed by the belly of a fish. And God says, I'm going to drop you off at a seaside port. I'm going to spit you out by this big fish. You know what? That's what God does on the third day. On the third day, God takes God's idols like Dagon and they come tumbling down. On the third day, stones are rolled away. On the third day, there was a carpenter, an itinerant carpenter, a penniless carpenter from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Yeah, I think so, because we're in a church 2,000 years later, still talking about it. People have tried to squelch the movement, but they can't, and they can keep trying. All the people that are out there, listen, God bless them, all of the atheists. All of the agnostics, I love them, and I love debate, and I love to dialogue about these things. But when you look at the gospel, it passes the historicity test. And why, as a matter of historical record, why would these followers of Jesus Christ, why would they get, get, uh, go on crosses, get killed, get uh, executed on crosses, crucified upside down? Why would some of them get burned alive? People, maybe not in the scriptures, but people moving forward in the second century, in the third century. Why would people go to their death believing a lie? Because what happened on the first and second day was they were despondent, they were dejected. And they said, oh my gosh, that's it, Ichabod, the glory is gone, but something happened on the third day. You know what happened on the third day? 
They met the resurrected Lord. Have you met him? Not do you know about him. Have you met him? Because it was Friday, but today is Sunday. Sunday was coming and you couldn't stop it. It was like a freight train and people tried to stop it, but they couldn't. Oh, God, we thank you because you are the God of the third day. So what are you putting your hope in today? Simple message. But what are you truly putting your hope in today? Have you felt like you tried Christianity or you've given God a shot? I would ask you that you evaluate, even as you leave this place, how you've looked at your relationship with God. Have you wanted God in and of himself or have you just wanted things from God? Have you tried to control God with your life? And God, don't cross me. Don't cross me because if you cross me, I'm never coming to church again. I'm never reading the Bible again. I'm never talking to people again. I'm sorry, but that message is espoused and propagated all over the place. Again, what can I get from God? Christianity is much deeper. Listen, I have to give account for my life one day as I go before God. Because I know heaven is for real. I know God is for real. And I understand something. I know I have to give account and I have to tell you what the truth is. And many of you know it. But listen, there's much more than just coming to this church on an Easter service. There is more for you. God has more. He wants more for you. It goes much deeper than that. I desperately desire not that you come even to this house, but you get into a house of worship. And you get into a community and you get to know him and his word and his people. And it's not about religion. Aren't you done searching? Aren't you done waking up on Monday mornings as you may wake up tomorrow and you have the Easter blues? Aren't you done? It's because you were created for that relationship. We were made in his image. But you know what happened? We returned the favor and we recreated God in our own image. I want to leave you with a, a little story. I wasn't going to, I'm going to share this. It's a pastor of a Philadelphia church. His name is Donald Barnhouse. When he lost his uh, wife, tragically, he was left the two young daughters to raise. And inexplicably, I mean, just hard to fathom, this man actually preached her funeral, did, conducted the funeral. Can't imagine that, right? Try to put yourself in that man's shoes. Well, as he's traveling to the funeral, he's sitting in the car and he's ruminating on, how do I explain to my two young daughters this situation? How do I explain this? It's a beautiful sunny day, kind of like it is out there today. And the sun is, is brining, uh, shining very brightly, very warm in the car. And they stop at a traffic light. And he looks to his right and he sees a truck. And his car is enveloped by the shadow of the truck. And with that... He looks back to his two daughters and he says, girls, what would you rather get hit by? Would you rather get hit by a shadow or a truck? And with that, one of the little girls quips back immediately, daddy, that's so silly. Are you kidding me? Of course, I'd want to get hit by the shadow because if I got hit by the shadow, it couldn't hurt me. I wouldn't feel anything. And with that, he said to them, this is one way to explain my wife's death. You see, it is as if your mom had been hit by the shadow that day when she died. <laughs> and Jesus stepped in the way in her place, and it was he who had been hit by the truck. <laughs> the story really touched me. Because though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we have to fear no evil because he is with us.
The truth of the gospel is because of what happened 2,000 years ago in that tomb, that he was raised from the dead, you and I can believe and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we will be with him. We are eternal beings, friends. Don't be mistaken. Don't walk out of this place and believe that when life's over, that's it. No, we are eternal beings, and death is basically a conveyor belt that will take us from one realm of existence to another. God offers us the relationship that you were created for. He offers us the life that you always wanted. You bow your heads. Lord, Megan, you can come up and prepare for your song in the meantime. Lord, Lord, we thank you for this Easter. Lord, may we become real Easter people. Lord, may we not just celebrate your resurrection power this day. Or we wait till next year, Father, to talk about it, to come to church. May we be a people, Lord, that celebrated every single day. I thank you for how you spoke to this church and your people during the Lenten season. But Father, move on hearts even as people leave this place. Reveal yourself to them, Lord, through nature, through other people as they look into the eyes of another person. Lord, through circumstances and situations. But Father, I ask that people that are hoping for something, Lord, and they realize that one day they're going to lose it or they didn't get what they wanted, that they can truly put their hope in you, someone. Nothing can ever, ever take that away from them. And if that's you as you're sitting here, if you have any questions as you leave this place, or just talk to God even right now. You don't, you, I, I don't believe, I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I'm not putting you on the spot. I don't believe in that. But I'm asking you in your heart of hearts that you talk to God right now. Tell him exactly where you're at. And if you're a Christian and you somebody that you're like, I already know the Lord, then tell him in your heart, where are you right now? Has God become a means to an end? Have you tried to control him and tame him? Or have you... Has your life just been so safe? Is your God too safe this morning? I pray that you work that out. Amen. And I want to, Scott, if we could put that PowerPoint back up, that last slide. I just wanted to let you know what we're going to be doing next week. I'll be preaching most of the series. I'm starting a series on a book in the Bible. It's Philippians, one of Paul's letters in the New Testament. Um, I'm calling it the happiest book in the Bible. And uh, Scott will put the slide up there. But I'm asking you, come out. You have nothing to lose to come here and to be part of a community. You can put it up, Scott. It's the last slide. To be part of a community of people. You have not really, you have nothing to lose and everything to gain getting to know him and getting to know the other people here. There we go. Happiest book in the Bible. So I, I urge you, I hope you come out. It is a wonderful book. We are going to go deep. We're going to have fun. It's going to be applicable to your life. And we're going to continue to talk about that word, hope. I have some good stuff in there. Really, I'm excited. So I hope you come out. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.